Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. So two mornings ago, I woke up from a dead sleep and had an idea for a children's book series And I was really annoyed because later the same day, the like spark was just not there. And I was so annoyed. And I asked my audience, but then also my therapist about it. And I was like, what do you do when an idea that like strikes you and just like feels so good in the moment? just like immediately kind of fizzles and fades. And I got the same answer from multiple people. Before I tell you what they said, I'm curious what you think. I mean, at least what I have done in the past, because this has definitely happened to me, is I've either done the exploratory phase of like, okay, it doesn't mean I need to create it tomorrow, but like, is there anything that I want to learn about a skill or the research or whatever? But if that doesn't even sound fun, I literally just table it for a second and I wait for the energy to be good around it because I'm not the type of person, especially for passion projects, I'm not the type of person to be like, I have to push through this no matter what. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, no, and I don't disagree to that to a certain extent, but both of the people I talked to reminded me that like excitement and like ideation in general is like such a short emotion and like emotions tend to linger for different amounts of time, but like excitement specifically is meant to be really short lived. Mm -hmm. And so like having the expectation that that feeling of like almost euphoric, Oh my God, I got to do this thing. Being in a state of that constantly would probably mean you're manic. And yeah, like, I, yeah, I've had no expectation ever that that's the state. No, I for sure. I just craved it a little bit. Anyway, yeah. both of them suggested that like action creates momentum uh-huh. in their own sort of way. And 
I was like, you know what? You're right. That's how I've done literally everything else in my life. Why am I assuming this would be any yeah. different? And what it'll ultimately turn into, I have no idea. But I was like very much like start small. So I was like watching some videos about other people who've written their own children's books and like what sparked ideas for them. And and while I didn't feel like I finished research in any particular area, it was like a little bit on length and a little bit on content and a little bit on story arch and a little bit on like just reading other children's books to understand mm-hmm. how other people put them together. And anyway, so I wouldn't say it's not a hundred percent back to that like glimmer of sure. an idea right in that moment, but it was just a good reminder that sometimes you have to take the first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and like, this is a skill that I've learned specifically around writing because I'm writing, you know, my first book and it's contemporary romance. And so before starting writing this book, I would have probably believed and have said for sure that I've dealt with writer's block, right? Like I don't, I don't have any idea. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to say. But in being surrounded a little bit more in author communities, and especially after going to the writers' conference at the library a couple of weeks ago, it was brought up so much in that conference about how writers' block is a myth. It is not real. It doesn't actually exist because the only thing that gets you through writers' block is writing, <laughs> and even if you're not writing the thing that you want to be writing, that's what's going to help you get through and get ideas and flex the muscle and figure out how to put pen to paper, so to speak, every single day towards your end goal. And so I've never been someone who said, I have to write every day to like feel like I'm making progress. There's definitely been weeks and weeks that have gone by where I haven't written for that book. But then when I was talking about it at the conference with a couple of people, they were like, yeah, but you write in your job. Like you might write an email, maybe not every day, but for sure once a week or a social media post or some piece of content. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess so. They're like, so you're flexing the writing muscle. So even if you sit down and I'm writing my book and I'm like, I don't know what I want to say here. I probably wrote 500 or a thousand words that day already in some other capacity. And so there's no writer's block. It is just maybe lack of clarity, but pick a different part of the story and tackle it or write a different story or write a prompt or do something. And it gets the gears. When you started your book, did you start with writing or did you start with research? No, I started with writing. So categorically, there's pansters and plotsters. So plotsters being what I feel like more your type of like heavy research, what does this need to be? What are the beats? What are the outlines? Like, how does all of this need to function? Me, when as a pantster, you just literally fly by the seat of your pants, you just like start writing and you kind of make it work. Mine's a little bit of a hybrid in the sense that the very first month that I sat down and I started writing that book, I wrote 30,000 words in less than 30 days without any research, without any framework, without any whatever. I just had some ideas and I needed to get them down. So then I took a pause and I started, I ordered a couple of books on story outlining and storytelling and romance, you know, story beats, all of that. And so I probably took a pause 
of a couple of months and did some research, did some writing. And it wasn't until like a year and a half later that I actually sat down and wrote the rest of the book. I might've written like a chapter here, a chapter there, but I was very diligent about getting it done. And that's when I had found my editor and sent her my first draft. So I got to like 70,000 words. And now I'm in the revision stage that I've been putting off, putting off, putting off and avoiding because it's just a different kind of writing. It's not as freestyle. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the part for writing for this specific project is I, I'm intimidated by it significantly, but like, I really think I want the whole book to rhyme and have a Mm -hmm. rhythm to it. Mm -hmm. Which is like, A, now you're not just writing. Now you're like being a poet. Right. And I'm a bit intimidated, Uh but Uh all of my favorite children's books at least have a rhythm, maybe not a rhyme. So we'll see. Whether it ends up being that way or not, I don't know. Because I read a dozen children's books yesterday and half the ones I picked up did have some kind of like beat or melody to them. And then the other half were just stories, and some stories were better than others, but I don't know. I just don't know. I think it's because you have – the reason I feel like I'm going down the plotster road is because you have to say so much and so few words. Yeah, yeah. Because they're – like the whole – now, if I was writing a board book, it's like – four to five words a page for 15 pages. This is like 20 to 30 words a page for there's 32 pages, but like four or five of them are booking. That's where my children's book falls into. Cause I wrote my children's book a couple years ago and I approached it the same way, very pantster like where, you know, and I had read a bunch of children's books though, because I had a kid in the house that we were reading all the time. And so there were books that I was like, Oh, this structure I like, or this would be easier to write or whatever. And I had my idea pretty clearly of like visually what I wanted it to look like. And so I kind of created the words that would support the visualization that I wanted. Yeah. Um, And I wrote all of that and mapped out like what the scenes should be for an illustrator and even got some illustration work done. And then I got ghosted. So yeah, that was unfortunate. But I think the thing that put me off for exploring that faster is I was like, oh, this will be quicker. Yes. But also, I definitely have to pay an illustrator for every single page, for the cover, for like some sort of press around it. Because like children's books, I feel like are different in the sense of like, I don't know, you're not like sitting down and reading them as an adult. And so it just needs a little bit more environment and marketing around it that I just wasn't ready to explore then. That is a future me problem. Uh I have not. I know it's going to take a lot more investment, but like. I also know I want it to be a series. So I'm like, yeah, I yeah. want to find the right illustrator that I want to work with for many, many series. Books. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <sighs> well, we'll see. I'm excited for us. <laughs> I'm excited for us too. I'm definitely intimidated, but oh, it, yeah. it's been a fun little exercise thinking about it. And there's a lot of things I do for fun that don't end up actually being a brain break, but like this is just so different from my regular world that 
It's very yeah. Well, fun. and that's how I feel even writing my romance novel. It's yes, it's different and it's work in some sense, but I don't know. Diving into those scenes and just getting to like not write a sales email, it feels so different. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I get to describe a coffee shop for a second, and I love that. <laughs> I, I love that for me. <laughs> I love that for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, speaking of other projects and just like thinking outside the box and dreaming and scheming of other things that we could work on. I find this exercise that I want to do with y'all really helpful for us to think outside the box, even for what we're already doing. And we've done an episode or two of this before where it's the kind of concept or question of if you were to, if you had nothing in your business that you have right now, except for the skills that you've learned, it all went away. And you were to start something completely different in today's climate as a service-based business or business in general, what would it be? And if we were to sit there and flashback and Freaky Friday style, go sit on the floor of your office in 2015 and say different words because of what we know now and the climate that we're in, what do you think we would have started? What do you think we would be doing? How do you think we'd be helping people? And I just want to kind of like, dream and vision for a second. Yeah. So in terms of going back in time, I don't know how differently we would have started. Because when I think about what sparked me, at least initially, it was so focused around building community, which is a huge reason why we built a giant Facebook group. And then ultimately, the podcast, which the podcast is weird, because it's like, we're all in the same room, but we can't see each other so it's definitely like the biggest introvert community on the internet you know what I mean like we're all hanging out but collectively saying nothing but today I feel and I don't know if it's because of I mean I can't deny the pandemic and my desire around community has likely Mm -hmm. shifted and while I love serving our current audience, like if I were to start over today, that would be less of a concern of mine to like get from my job. And so I would be looking for my first kind of initial sweep would be to look at industries or types of services that are more economic resistant to change. And like a either tend to stay the same over very, very long periods of time, or they are relatively stable over long periods of time, or ideally both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yes to that. And I think the number one thing I would try to figure out, and again, I don't know if this would have been possible back then, but we're making this decision now with all the skills and experience we've had since then. I would absolutely create a business with an offer that did not require my face and personality to sell it. That has been, to be fully honest with you guys, one of the most like difficult parts to figure out of how to grow as a founder and a CEO. And I think that there's been this like, and it's definitely faded now, but there was a conversation for a long time of like, you know, build it all up. And yes, people are buying from you and you're the face of the business and it's your brand. And then it's your job to like fully step out and train people and hire people and do this. And I cannot tell you how many businesses I've seen crash and burn who've done that because 
as much as you try to train someone or educate your audience or like, now this is my role, it waters down what you're offering if you have been the reason why people have been buying that. No matter how, like, even if you can train someone else to say the things, which like, honestly, you can't do it 100%. Can you train someone to be you? Right. You can train someone to do the task or the process or whatever. But there's a unique like strategy or skill that you specifically deliver when you create businesses like that, that you cannot teach that. Well, and I think what makes that easier, like if you're looking at a set of services is trying to identify something that's not as close to your innate skill set, which is not something I would do for a beginner business owner. No, no. A beginner Again, business. This is a beginner business of people who have over a decade of experience. So this yeah. is not right. our first business. Yeah. Like if I, I would not suggest this to someone right. as their first business to go out and like right. pick a skill that they don't have and market it and sell it. But where I am today I would look at what services are things that I have an interest and a passion for, but not necessarily every skill necessary to fulfill on. And how could I be the leader of a company and less of the fulfillment? Yeah. Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, and like, Truly, because like, I did not fully understand this concept until pretty recently. And I mean, within the last year or whatever, but there's a difference between a business owner and then a founder and a CEO and a doer in that business, the implementer that sometimes the founder is the person who also delivers the service, right? That's what we're talking about. And then there's a true CEO or a true owner of a company. And those are two different things as well. And until I started to really understand that those roles shift pretty drastically, like an owner and a CEO are completely different, right? And C-suite, like the team of your C-suite is different than the people who are putting money into the business or started the business or whatever. And I didn't fully understand that my role would want to shift with the required task of each of those different kind of titles as I got more experience, as I got older, as my life changed. And I didn't fully understand, you know, when people were talking about being an entrepreneur versus being a business owner are kind of different. When you're an entrepreneur, you want to just like you start more projects or you have an idea for multiple things, but you're not like the one in charge of all of the different aspects. And I didn't really get that. I have said on the show before, I'm a business owner, not an entrepreneur. And I think I want to shift into my entrepreneur skill set in this new like phase of life. That's interesting to think about. I'm wondering though, if it's not that you're not, that you're a business owner and want to switch into entrepreneur. I think you're a founder. Because I mean, A founder has so much, in my opinion, like when we're looking at roles, like a founder is someone who has like a deep seated care about the business. And I'm not saying that you don't want to care about the business, but like you don't want to care in the same way. And I don't either. Like I think if I were to start something new, I would want to care about my team, care about my employees, but allow them to fully care for the clients. You know, so I'm, I looked up this article. It's not that helpful because this isn't really. So I looked up differences in founder versus entrepreneur. 
So an entrepreneur is an individual that looks at business opportunities and creates ways to make those businesses become profitable. Entrepreneurs often invest without major responsibilities of running the companies as they focus more on earning money. They are leaders with good leadership, teamwork, and decision-making skills. On the other hand, a founder creates a business from scratch that will someday become successful. They don't have a major financial motive. Founders create a product or service to change the world. They're brave to face challenges yeah. finding research. And I stand by my definition. No, 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 sure. But I'm saying I think you were in that founder role where you didn't start the business about it wasn't right. about making money or using it as the, a vehicle. Right. I think at this stage in our career, if we were to start anything new, it needs to be a vehicle to pay for the rest of our lifestyle. Yes. That's what I mean. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Entrepreneur. Yeah. No, I agree. No, mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that's where you're going. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering where you came from. And I think that founder mindset versus entrepreneur mindset and but I've seen this with several people. I was in a conversation just the other day with someone who had sold their business and had their first exit a few years ago. And he very similarly was like, I already had my life changing moments from like building that company. And in some ways, like once those boxes are checked, like, yeah those memories carry you for a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't necessarily have to re-spark how, that. That's how I feel, right? Where it's like, we've done so many incredible things here and we'll continue to do and have hit so many milestones and did it dirty and we were scrappy and then we bootstrapped and then we, you know, learned a lot of lessons and we fucked up a lot and we did all of these things. And, you know, and I also can't like, it would be irresponsible to not mention the fact that like, we're also, I wouldn't start a different kind of business without capital again, (laughs) like really getting into here's the runway, here's the financial plan, so to speak, instead of having to be like, we need to figure out something to sell so that we can afford to keep the lights on, like is how we did from the very, very beginning. And I want to shift that mentality of here's the funds that we have to work with. What can we do with this with an immediate plan to make more money, but having a little bit of capital. Yeah, invest to yeah. see a return yeah. Yeah. versus generate the capital from the Which I mean, we can do now. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> okay. So another aspect that I would look at if I were starting a service-based business today and I was like, really picking at it from an entrepreneur headspace, I would come hell or high water, find an offer that I was able to have on recurring basis. So I think the key thing here is it has to be solving a problem that's an ongoing problem. Yes. Not a membership that's like a luxury membership. No. That can be cut when budgets get tight. No. This is about an ongoing problem. And again, going back to the ongoing problem that also tends to stay really stable in economic downturns. This is Emily and I, this is the second recession while we've been business owners. (laughs) Yeah, we started out in a recession. We started in a recession and we're heading into one or we're in one, however you want to look at it. And so there was so much interesting things that came out of the first one. And I guarantee you there's going to be more that come out of this new version. But regardless, like I'm always trying to think more and more long term. 
And often when you are putting it through the lens of building it based on a passion, purpose, impact versus economically stable, like you just make different decisions. Yes. 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 Well, and I think, you know, the trajectory that I'm already seeing that's going to happen, I'm imagining that we already have this in place, guys, is we started, we were founders, we started something from passion, we created it, and then we figured out how to generate money and then continue to scale it and grow it. And it was absolute serving the passion itch. Not that it wasn't profitable, because I'm not going to do stuff just for shits and giggles. So we created that. And now we're in the interesting curiosity stage of what could be the actual, very, very sustainable version of business so that we can pursue writing a book, doing these passion projects that we don't know when the money will come from those projects, but we physically and it's need less them to be out. And, but it's less critical that they right. even right. are successful. Right, right. And, you know, we've also, behind closed doors, but I'll I'll let you in on it a little bit. We've also talked about how do we eventually, and I don't know, Emily and I aren't committed to anything different right now. Just so I'm very clear, Boss Project is not going anywhere. No. (laughs) What if this was a covert announcement of just like, and this is the last episode of the strategy. Stop. (laughs) No. Boss Project is not going anywhere. I'm allowed to dream about the rest of We're my We're just talking out loud. Okay. <laughs> Maybe right. something will come to us. <laughs> Maybe something will come to us. Okay. And we'll take you but all we've along talked journey. about if you start your first business out of passion and impact, but you have bigger projects that are bigger passion projects, you can't ignore that most of those need more capital than some of your initial passion projects did. And so I'm all about creating a business that can generate more cash flow yeah. to support yep. the future passion mm-hmm. projects that are maybe even bigger than your previous self could have absolutely imagined. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I won't share it here because it is not at all a fleshed out idea, but there was one idea that we both kind of spit out in one of our recent brainstorming meetings And we both were just like, oh, that's a big idea. That is a giant ass idea. And it sounds really cool. And holy shit, that's a big idea. And so I want us to be able to be in a space to be able to pursue really big, (laughs) hairy ideas. But like when you look at an idea and you're like, "Mm, I need 500,000 even. Like imagine that's possible. Right. That's a lot. That's Mm -hmm. a lot. And so how can you generate more? The other thing I'm thinking about, because I don't necessarily think it has to be a service. I'm not married to a future iteration being a service, you know, that's stable during economic downturn, blah, blah, blah. But I am also thinking about like what offers what types of businesses are a really sellable for future retirement purposes but b like do have the ability for the owners to eventually step away from the ceo seat and only be owners like someone else could run entirely yeah 
I mean, truly, if I were able to, this is what I would go back in time and do a little pivot. Yes, even though we had the passion for community and for education and whatever, I would encourage us to scratch that itch in a different way and not build our entire business model around it. And what I instead would do is say, build a freaking agency that you can train salespeople and doers to fulfill the thing and then sell it in fucking 20 years and be the number one agency in Kansas City for fucking branding or logo design or what the fuck ever and do that. Like, that's what I wish I could like shake into my older version of myself. Well, we were pretty over. Huh? You, you had some pretty strong opinions. Oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, no regrets. Like, we're here and learned so much and did all the things. But if I wanted to stay in my skill set of industry, and if we wanted to go all in on, you know, really developing our agency in a big way, I absolutely think that there's a trainable aspect there. There's you would need a bigger team, like you would need the support and systems. But you know, I always go back to, and we've talked about it how many times on this podcast, our favorite book, Built to Sell, talks about this. And I read that book, you know, five years ago. And my brain was like, oh my gosh, like we should have done this or we should figure something like this out. And it's the simple concept of an agency who was doing, they're a marketing agency and they did like all of the things and they got, you know, a mentor and he was like, yeah, but you're just really good at logos. Just charge $10,000 to do logos and only do logos and train people on how to do logos and sell logos and you do logos and that's it. And they did. And they went all in on that. And I'm not saying that that's the right version of it, but I was so impressed with just the simplicity of that and the true scalability of that. Right, right. The simplified singular service. Yeah. It's really yeah. systematized yeah. that you can build a sales system. Around. And that's not recurring, which is its only downfall. I think that's its biggest downfall. Yep. Yep. And I'm not saying recurring revenue is the like requirement for life, but it takes a lot of pressure when the meter doesn't go back to zero at right. the beginning of every right. month. Right. And hear me when I say a payment plan is not recurring revenue. And man, I would just have a giant PSA of that a contract payment plan is not a subscription. Please learn the difference. That has been my biggest soapbox that I could be on in the last couple of years. This is not Netflix when you sign a contract to make a payment plan for something. By yeah. I think payment plans can be a beautiful thing inside of a business, but they still have an end date and they still... They have an end date. And I think that even I was naive starting a business of going into like, well, you know, if people say they're going to pay you, they're going to pay you. And if they sign a contract, then they're definitely going to pay you. And you could just send them a letter and say, you need to pay me. This industry is so unsupported by the outside of our bubble. There are no lines of credit, none that we can partner with. Like what you guys don't realize is that a lot of the businesses that if you're buying something that's a high dollar amount that's broken out into a payment plan, the business provider is also the line of credit. They're the bank. They're the bank. And that is a very dangerous business to be in when you don't have the fucking FDIC behind you. <laughs> yeah, there's no insurance for that. It just, when they say you're bankrolling it, like you're literally, literally bank bankrolling it. Yeah. 
And I don't think enough consumers or clients or students or members or whatever you want to call yourselves realize that until you're in that similar situation. Being a bank when that's not why you're in business no. is, is really, no. really exhausting. It's, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I feel like it's always an interesting perspective giving your, you know, okay, looking back on a decade plus of experience, what would you do differently? And what would you want to create? And it's all obviously relative, right? Like the ideas and the needs that we have now are because of the business that we've been running for the past seven or eight years, because of our life circumstances, because of the goals that we have outside of this business that we haven't even shared here of what we want to do within our families and our lives and in general. And so I think it's really interesting to see how, as you grow up, how that shifts and can manifest into new things. I think if you're listening to this and you're like, well, how can I make this apply to me? You know, my best suggestion is we're not suggesting you need to go out and tear your current business to the ground and start over. I've watched people do it and starting over is really hard. But what I am saying is take a hard look at your role in the business. What about your role do you want to shift over time? And what do you need for your own sanity, for your peace, for your growth? Do you need to be stepping out of or stepping into? And what support do you need to make that possible? And then from the actual like sales perspective, how can you take the service you're offering today and put more safeguards in place so that you have a bit more of a stable business when things go down? And then is there an opportunity if you're not already solving an ongoing problem for you to be really thinking about the clients that you already have, that you're already selling to, what kind of ongoing problems do they have and how can you help? And I think even if you just do those couple of things, you will have so much insight into something you can build towards, even if it's not a today thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I hope this brainstorm sesh was fun and got you thinking outside the box as well. I think this was a fantastic creative thinking exercise that we just did, which is what we've been talking about a lot lately. Uh, So I hope you found this fun and helpful. And if any genius idea sparked your brain that you want to hash out with us, please do not hesitate to share that. Leave us a voice memo over on Instagram at Boss Project. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor, to get podcast updates and all the behind the scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details.
really love this show, it would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show, but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.